Good evening, church. Great to see you. I hope you're enjoying um, the wonderful weather that we're having. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Gareth, part of the team here. Great to welcome you. Um, do stick around, join us afterwards for, for drinks. I know there'll be a bunch going over um, to the Feathered Fish to the pub afterwards. Stick around, get to know this um, incredible little family that I think we are here at Trinity. Um, it'd be great to get to know you. If you have just joined us, um, we're at the beginning of a relatively new teaching series that's going to last us um, through to the summer called Encounters with Jesus. As we think through, um, if you may not have seen it, if you're upstairs, but down, downstairs is a, a, a display that we want to see full of activity um, as we, we think around this campaign that we've got of, over the summer of Growing Greener. How we can fill the different spaces that we have, bring together the different spaces of, of our kind of like church community space and our non-community uh, church community space and bring them together in what we're calling green spaces, growing greener, where we can bring these worlds together as we seek to be more missional and hosting all kinds of different things from, from um, barbecues to perhaps having people over for dinner to um, serving people in our community, perhaps neighborhood, our, our neighbors through, um, I know life groups are getting involved in Summer of Love, whatever it is, um, stick your little leaf on there and let's together see how we might grow greener as a Christian community and filling these spaces. And, and as part of that, we're teaching in, teaching into this theme of encounters with Jesus and people that encountered Jesus and people that Jesus encountered himself, trying to learn what we can learn from these encounters in terms of our mission, in terms of how we can share our faith with others, what that looks like. So in a minute, I'm going to ask you to jump into Mark chapter 5. Because um, we're, we're, we're going to look at um, an account, a story of um, a number of different characters. Um, if, you look, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you will know that there are all kinds of different encounters that Jesus had. Jesus had encounters with crowds of people, lots of crowds gathered around Jesus. And Jesus also had um, encounters with individuals. And in this particular story, Matthew, in Mark chapter 5, uh, verse 21, we see a crowd gathering around Jesus, but how Jesus particularly is drawn to the individuals within the crowd. So grab your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And just a, a, bit, of a, a bit of background as you're turning to, to that or, or turning on your phone to Mark chapter 5. The point up until Mark chapter 5, Jesus has um, been filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism, um, after which Jesus announces that the rule and the reign of God, the kingdom of God is here amongst us in the person of Jesus and that Jesus has come to establish the rule and the reign of God in the world. We then begin to see what that rule and that reign of God looks like where Jesus is king, where Jesus is Lord. First couple of chapters, we see some miracles. We see um, Jesus gathering people to him. He gathers particularly a group of guys, um, his disciples, people that he's seeking to apprentice in the Christian faith, people that he wants to um, be with him, people that he wants to be like him, and people that he wants to, to do the kinds of things that he said and did as a follower of Jesus. And that's what we're all called to do, to be with him, to be like him, and to do what he did. 
and he begins to perform a number of miracles. And just before the, the passage that we're going to look at in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, um, we see Jesus calming the storm. Then we see Jesus set a man free from demonic possession. A man that had been so caught up in and riddled with evil. There was probably something like a hundred demons that had, that possessed this man. And he was, he was he, you know, this particular man was so distraught with this demonic evil activity that he was running around graveyards naked as a madman. And Jesus sets him free. We're beginning to see in the New Testament that Jesus is Lord over everything. That Jesus is Lord over the deep, the storms. Jesus is Lord over the demonic, the evil in the world. And today we're going to discover that he is Lord over disease and death. He's Lord over the deep, the demonic, disease and death. And in this passage we're about to read, we, we read about three particular individuals who encounter the person and the life-changing presence of Jesus. And that's what we long to see in this Christian community. Encounters with the person and the life-changing presence of Jesus. We first meet a desperate father who's besides himself because his daughter is sick and is about to die. We see a desperate woman, a diseased woman who's um, shunned and, and ostracized from the community because um, she was considered religiously unclean. And then thirdly, we encounter a dead daughter. It doesn't get much desperate than that. So verse 21 of Mark chapter 5. Read it with me if you would. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, 
Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So I've reflected on this passage. The summary statement that comes to mind is this. Jesus came for those who have fame and for those who live in shame. And in fact, he comes for all in between. The point being is that Jesus will receive you whether you're respected or rejected by others. Jesus receives everyone who seeks him out. We're going to go through this passage and we're going to consider each of these characters. So follow the passage with me, if you would. The first character is the man in need. Verse 1, verse 21, rather, gives us the setting. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Now, the crowd were no doubt waiting for him to return from the other side, and they were pressing in on Jesus. And verse 22 tells us that one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now, it's important that we understand the relationship that Jesus had with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders. The religious leaders were all about the law. And this man, who would have been well known by many of the people in the community, they would have known his name. They would have known that that Jairus was the synagogue leader, that he was a Pharisee, that he was a leader in the community. And he, he, he goes against all custom and he comes and falls at this rabbi that most of the Pharisees were against. You remember, if you, if you know a bit of the New Testament, you'll remember that Jesus said to them, get behind me, you vipers, you brood of vipers. He was quite, he was quite angry towards the Pharisees because they were, they were, they were creating rules and regulations that, that, that meant that many of the people of God could not enter the temple into the presence of God. And this, this Pharisee breaks with perhaps the rest of his tradition And he comes to Jesus and he falls at his feet. The the name Jairus means Jehovah enlightens, God enlightens. Now maybe Jairus has had some revelation by the Spirit of God that he's come to an understanding that the Spirit of God has spoken to him that if 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 you want to find healing, then Jesus is the person you need to encounter. The religious leader is desperate. He's in crisis and he needs help that only Jesus can provide. His child's life is in danger. 
Can you hear the agony in this father's cry? Can you hear the sense of urgency? Verse 23, he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Here is an expression of faith. Here is an expression of trust. Put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. See, this Pharisee who's, who'd put most of his trust and his faith in the law recognizes that he needed to put his faith and his trust in Jesus. Jairus calls his girl, my little daughter. If you're a parent here, you know how precious your children are to you. I'm a dad, I've got one son, Jacob, and he is incredibly precious to Zoe and I. He's cheeky. I mean, he gets that from his mum, not me. Um, but he is a precious son. I have a sense of what this father might have been feeling. I wonder if you can pick up from the language, the, the, the desperation that's in this father's voice. But Jairus has heard of Jesus. We don't know how, but he's heard of Jesus. That's why he comes to him. He may have see, seen some of the miracles previously. He may have been around. He may have heard the stories, people telling the stories after stories of what Jesus has done in, in, in people's lives. And he's heard of Jesus and he comes to him. I wonder how many people you know that haven't heard of Jesus. I wonder how many people you know, maybe the five people that you're praying for, for thy kingdom come and you'll continue to pray for, people that you know who haven't heard the stories that you've got to tell of what Jesus has done. Thankfully, Jairus has heard of Jesus. And so he's confident that if Jesus came and touched his daughter, she would be healed. And I love Jesus' response in verse 24. Jesus went with him. Jesus recognized this man's need. He saw faith expressed in the words of the Father. And he went with him. But our story takes a funny turn. There's an unexpected interruption in the gathering. A woman with no name. Jairus, a man of fame, and now a woman with no name. We don't know what her name is. We don't know a huge amount about her. But what Mark does tell us is this. She was suffering. Verse 25. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd been hemorrhaging. She'd been, she had this blood disease. She'd been bleeding and no doubt suffering from anemia. So she was probably weak and frail. She was possibly even bedridden. And it would have taken every ounce of her breath, her energy and her strength to get out of her bed, to come to Jesus, to perhaps even get past the crowds of people to find where Jesus, Jesus was. Every ounce of her strength to get to Jesus. Why is that? 
she was suffering. And there was something in her, some, some hope that she'd heard of this man, Jesus, that maybe Jesus could change things for her. I wonder if you know some people that need Jesus. They need Jesus to change their situation. Verse 26 tells us that she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors as well. At this time in the first century, it's likely that um, whilst there would have been some good medicine, there would have been some bad medicine that, that, that people would have offered their service for. You have to pay for it. And, so, and, so, and, and often doctors would have put together potions as kind of trials, trying to see if something would work. And she'd suffered. She was still suffering. She was in a worse condition she was than she had started 12 years ago. She was suffering. Secondly, Mark tells us that she was spiritually unclean. If you've got one of those Bibles that has um, little verses next to it, in mine, I think it's a V, and it refers to um, an Old Testament passage in Leviticus 15, where Leviticus 15, the part of the book of the law, outlines what it, what it would have meant to be spiritually unclean. And where there's a discharge of blood people would have been considered spiritually unclean, meaning that they wouldn't have been allowed to come to any worship gatherings. They wouldn't have been allowed to have come to a temple or, or to the synagogue. In fact, they would have had to have stayed away from other people because if other people had, had touched the, the woman who had been bleeding, they themselves, by the book of the law, would have become, become unclean. And so she was ostracized to loneliness, to an empty life, 12 years I think it was Mother Teresa that said, you know, the greatest disease our culture has is loneliness. I wonder if you know people like that. She'd been shunned and relegated to a lonely and empty life because she was considered spiritually unclean. Thirdly, she'd spent all her money, verse 26. She was broke. She was broke because she'd spent her money to try and get get better and she was worse off. Her disease had left her destitute. She tried everything. She'd spent all that she could and she was in a worse situation. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation yourself where you've been crying out to God and maybe you've been prayed for, for healing and then you've got worse. How do we figure that out? How do we work that out? We keep persisting. We keep coming to Jesus in prayer and in faith. But this woman, she'd sought doctor's help. And by the way, this is not a bag against doctors and, and nurses. We are so fortunate in this country to have an incredible um, medical system with our, our, our NHS. And I'm so grateful for doctors and nurses. But back in the first century, there wasn't that. And this woman is desperate and she's suffering and she's broke. Fourthly, Mark tells us she was seeking help. When she heard about Jesus, notice that word heard in verse 27, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She too, like Jairus, had heard about Jesus. And the word that's used um, in, the, in, the new, in, the, in our scripture here for, for heard means to have heard with attention. 
Jesus has grabbed her attention. I wonder if Jesus has grabbed your attention. I wonder if Jesus has grabbed the attention of the people that you're praying for, your work colleagues, your friends. I wonder if people have noticed the person of Jesus. So Jesus had her attention. The healing power that she'd heard of, of Jesus, gave her hope. But given her situation, she was stooped in shame. There was no way she was going to approach Jesus face to face. There was no way she was going to come up to him and say, Rabbi, please, would you heal me? She was probably recognized by many other people in that community. And if she'd have even tried to have come up to Jesus, they, they, she, they, she, they probably would have pushed her away because she would have been considered unclean. The woman with no name was full of shame. Perhaps the best she could hope for was a secret healing. Verse 28 reveals her thinking when she keeps repeating over and over, I imagine, if I just touch his clothes, if I just get to him, if I just grab the the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And Luke tells us she grabbed onto it. She grabbed onto the fringe of his cloak to be healed. This woman was an outcast in the Jewish community. And as a result, she had nothing. She had nothing. She thought, I only need to touch his clothes. She had nothing, and yet she brought all that she had and all that she understood of Jesus at that time and she encountered the the mighty power of Jesus. She brought her imperfect faith to a perfect saviour and that always leads to new life. Imperfect faith encountering the perfect saviour will always lead to new life. And as soon as she touched his garments, Mark tells us, immediately, immediately, her blood stopped flowing and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Immediately she felt better. Something was different from just touching the garment of Jesus. Um, Hills was speaking on this same passage this morning and I hadn't seen this but she pointed out a little bit later in Mark chapter 6 verse 53 we read that people were bringing all the sick and the unwell and putting, bringing them in the marketplace believing that if they just touched his clothes they would be healed. I wonder where they would got that thinking from. Here from this woman in Mark 5. And as she's healed, Jesus realizes that power has gone from him. She rec- he recognizes that power has gone from him. And he turns around and he says, like, who touched me? Now his disciples think, I mean, you're in a crowd. Everyone's pressing in on you. Don't, don't be so ridiculous, Jesus. But Jesus knew that someone had touched him with the significance of his power and his presence going towards something and bringing healing and restoration. 
I think Jesus knew exactly who had touched him. I think Jesus wanted to bring attention to this woman who'd come with her little faith and, and her hope that maybe something could happen with this encounter with Jesus. That Jesus asked the question publicly for the benefit of the woman. It may be it was to enable her to give testimony so that she could talk publicly about the fact that she'd been healed and to tell her story. And she did get to tell part of her story. You know, faith is in Jesus something personal, but it has to be demonstrated publicly. We have to proclaim what Jesus has done in our life. And that's what baptism is all about. And in a couple of weeks here, on Sunday evening, we've got our baptisms. And if you're, you're a follower of Jesus and you've not yet been baptized, we'd love to baptize you as a public declaration of faith. Why? Because Jesus tells us to make those public acknowledgements of faith. Luke 12, the words of Jesus. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. I mean, how incredible is that? Being acknowledged with the heavenly realms, with the messengers of God as we acknowledge Jesus. And I think Jesus goes, that's my girl. That's my boy. They're followers faithfully following me. Maybe Jesus asked the question to encourage her in her faith. You know, thank you so much for believing in me. Come, be with me, follow me. I think the main reason that Jesus asked who it was that touched him and wanted to stop the crowds and stop the proceedings and, to, and, and went searching, looking for this woman was for the benefit of the crowd. To demonstrate that she was now clean. To demonstrate that she was no longer ostracized, but she, she, was welcomed, she could be welcomed back into the worshiping community. I love that Jesus is about restoring relationships. I love it that Jesus doesn't want us to be lonely. He doesn't want anybody to be lonely. Jesus wants us all to be within the community, the family of God. And I think Jesus wanted people to know that he was no shame anymore. And Jesus went searching. And then we read in verse 33, Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she'd done. This woman is terrified. She's terrified that she's being found out and she's terrified that she might be rejected again. She's felt the power and the presence of Jesus come upon her and she's, she, something has definitely changed. Something's definitely happened in her body. She knows that Jesus has come and Jesus has touched her. But she's fearful that the community and maybe even Jesus would reject her because of shame that was attributed to her sickness. I love what happens here. In this story, there's a man with a name, Jairus. He fell down before Jesus and here is a woman, a woman full of shame and she also falls down at Jesus' feet. The point is this, is it doesn't matter who you are, what position you hold, what position other people think you hold, but our posture before Jesus must always be one of humility, of falling at his feet in worship. 
But I love what Jesus then goes on to say to this woman who thinks, maybe I'm going to be rejected. Maybe this community might accept me. Maybe they won't. Jesus says this, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. I love it that Jesus calls her daughter. He does so because she's just entered into the family of God. Whereas before she was ostracized because of her shame, because of her bleeding, because she was considered unclean, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, welcomes her into the family of God. And she is now a daughter of the King. For 12 terrible years, she was a nobody. And now she is a somebody. After calling this nameless woman daughter, we read in verse 35 that then the messengers come from Jairus' house. Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. We have a dead daughter. Jesus has just given new life and welcomed a daughter into the family of God. And then it seems like the enemy is winning. You know, when, the, when, the, when there's, I, I, my experience has often been is that when there's, when there's power encounters, the, the enemy tries to then counteract. But of course, the, the power of the enemy is never, ever equal to the power and the authority of the name and the authority of Jesus. I think the enemy tries to have a go. The daughter's dead. I, I can't imagine what Jairus must have been thinking. You know, Jesus, my little girl, my daughter, you know, did you have to stop and heal this woman that had been bleeding? You know, she'd been, she'd been sick for 12 years. You know, surely another 30, 40 minutes wouldn't have mattered if you'd have gone on to, to my house and healed my daughter first. Then you could have come back and, and healed this woman. Perhaps you've heard the saying, God is never late. He's seldom early. He's always on time. I'd like to add, and he can be trusted. God is never late. He's seldom early, which is really frustrating. He's always on time, and he can be trusted. So I wonder if you're okay with divine delays. I know I struggle with them. You know, when God delays something in our life, maybe it's our own healing, maybe it's a breakthrough um, in a relationship, maybe it's a breakthrough with, with, with a job, it seems like God doesn't care. But perhaps God is weaving his ways. And he's doing it in such a way that will bring greater glory to him and a greater faith in us. I love what Paul says in Romans 8 when he writes, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You know, delays are often part of God's design and God's plan in our lives. I think often delays and interruptions are parts of God's appointments for us. I wonder if we're attentive and available 
to God's interruptions. Mike was talking about that recently. But I love the tenderness in which Jesus speaks to Jairus when he says this, verse 36, don't be afraid, have faith. Trust in me. Maybe you need to hear that tonight. Trust in Jesus. Whatever your circumstance, Jesus is for you. He's got your best for you if you would seek to follow him. And Jesus is literally saying to Jairus, keep on believing, keep trusting, don't fear, only be believing. Jesus clears the house. He's there with Peter, James and John and with the parents and he holds her hand with such tenderness. And Jesus says, Talitha kum, little girl, get up and she is healed. And everybody, everyone around is amazed and it's like, wow! She was dead. Now she is alive. I don't know about you, but I could do with a little bit more Jesus wow in my life. Maybe you're here tonight and you need some more Jesus wow. I know a hurting world outside this building needs more Jesus wow. His power, his kingdom breaking in. Just as I finish, just want to draw a couple of lessons. Here's what I think we can learn from this passage about our faith, sharing our faith, and advancing the kingdom of God. Firstly, I think we should start seeing interruptions as God's appointments. Maybe you have interruptions in your day and it's your work colleague, but maybe that is an opportunity and an appointment by Jesus for you to minister the love and the grace and the presence of Jesus to that work colleague. And maybe the prayer you might want to say in your interruption in your, in your days, God, please stop me from being irritated. Please help me to see what you want me to do in this situation. How can I bring your presence to this person that I've just encountered? Secondly, refuse to attach labels to people according to their relative importance. Everyone is loved by the Father. Jesus wants everyone to encounter him. Tim spoke brilliantly, and I encourage you to listen to this a couple of weeks ago, about how we can sometimes have prejudice towards people. Let's not be prejudiced with the love of God. Let's give extravagantly all that we've received of the love of Jesus to others. Thirdly, identify any situations where we need to stop fear coming in and start having faith. What was very evident in Jairus and the woman with no name was that they had faith in Jesus. There wasn't much. It was perhaps only a glimmer. But they knew he was their only hope. If you've got fears in your life, I want to encourage us to put our faith in Jesus. Fourthly, 
that whatever faith we have, we need to go public with. You know, this series that we're looking at, Encounters with Jesus, we hope is giving us some of the tools, giving us some from, from, from encounters with Jesus, from the scriptures about how he was with people that will help us to, to share our faith in very real, practical ways. And thy kingdom come. One of the ways that we are expressing our faith is through prayer. Praying for five people, how, whatever, whoever they are, you know, I'm praying for um, my brother and his, and his wife to come to a greater knowledge of faith. I'm praying for my, bro- my brother-in-law and, and sister-in-law. Um, I'm praying for um, a man that serves me coffee on a regular basis in Cheltenham, that he would come to a growing relationship with Jesus. Maybe the first point of expressing our faith, going public, is in prayer to the Father. Fifthly and finally, Don't wait for a crisis to happen in your life before you commit your life to Jesus. Give him everything. He is the one whom we can put our hope. He is the one who will change and transform your life, my life, this town, this nation, the world, which is why we pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, Father, through the power of Jesus and in the ministry of the Spirit. I wonder if you would stand with me.